Uh, I will fight you. <laughs> You're such a cad. And welcome back to the Wages of Cinema. Yes, welcome back. We're back to our list. We're back to the New Year's list. The movies that one of us has seen and the other one has not. And, and Jack has got a treat from the 80s that he's about to... Oh, it's so 80s. I'm going to talk about the Karate Kid. Can you believe that this guy has not seen the Karate Kid until just a few days ago? Uh, well, actually today. I watched it. What? Yes. <laughs> I had a day off. I was going to watch it. Um, I've, you know, it's weird though. I've seen, I've seen the next Karate Kid. I the think. one with the girl with Hilary Swank. Yeah, that was before she was famous. Why? I don't know. It was on TV. And you talking to me about seeing Marley and Me and Batman <laughs> and Robin? I was a kid. I I barely remember the movie. What is the Karate Kid about, Jack? The Karate Kid is. A movie about young uh, Mr. DeRusso. What's his Daniel name? Daniel LaRusso. Daniel LaRusso. Damn. Played by Ralph Macchio. By the one and only Ralph Macchio. Everyone's favorite little greasy Italian kid. <laughs> yes, everyone's greasy little Italian kid. He His mother gets a job in California. Um, they move away from Newark, New, New Jersey. Newark, New Jersey. New Jersey, yeah. represent. Yes. Leave it as fast as you can. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't really show that many black people in the opening of the movie. Uh, What's that got to do with it? Well, no, it doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's just like, we're just going to show a street block here, and that will be Newark. I'm like, this could be any street block. It's not at all indicative of Newark. Why don't you show, like, something I don't think like Newark that. was the point. I'm just saying, it's a film that mentioned New Jersey. Uh, yeah, but anyway, the point is, he's from New Jersey, in case other people can tell just right away by his accent, when he goes out to California, uh, he moves to Racina, or it's Racina or Encino, one of those. No, Encino is where the rich people live. That's Racina right. Racina is where okay. uh, the poor people live. That's okay. Okay. And what happens is he go he moves into high, he goes to high school. Um, very quickly, this movie sets up its like you know characters. Because they have to keep things moving, I guess. Uh, he meets this girl on a beach, uh, played by Elizabeth Shue. Her name's Allie. Yeah. And already they kind of like each other. It's one of those, like, hey, I like you at first sight type of things, because you're cute. And... Not crazy, though. It's not like they fall head over heels. But, you know. No, she, they, but they like she each likes other, him, generally. He enough. likes her. And, and but then, you know, they're both, they're both good-looking people, relatively. So, uh, you know, why not? Unfortunately, you also have to deal with Johnny, played by Billy Zabka. Yeah. And uh, he was once going out with Allie. Uh, He's Allie's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. So he sees, that, he sees her with Daniel. and uh, He doesn't like that, yeah. so he beats the crap out of him right away. Um, excuse me, I burped. Things, um, escu- things escalate. Daniel gets beat up worse and worse until yeah, uh, well, uh, what we happens get the intervention is of... Uh, Pat Morita, who plays Mr. Miyagi. Um, now, the thing is, Mr. Miyagi also, he he lives in... Does he live in or does he work in? No, like he just the... works there. He has a house. Somewhere yeah, else. yeah. That's that part confused me at first because I thought, all right, he also lives in this complex, but a house. Yeah, but he actually lives in a house yes. with all of his cars. Um, he he. It's like you, you don't live in your office, Jack. No, no. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I, I'm getting on. They weren't that. Much. They weren't that clear about that. But anyway, besides the point, uh, they give so much in a few minutes, but ultimately. It takes a little time for them to establish, okay, Mr. Miyagi will train uh, Daniel to uh, fight. And but I like that, because yeah. it's not instant. They build it, up bi- the other... They build up the characters and situations 
they build up the whole aspect of Daniel having to deal with Billy Zabka and these other bullies. Yeah, and Pat and uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel they ha- they they build a relationship. So it's not like oh I just met you I'm going to teach you karate. No, no, no. They do a good job with that. Um, you know, it's um, the the thing about this movie for me is uh, it it it's basically like Rocky Junior. It's Rocky for kids. I'll give you that. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you could do a lot worse. No, the movie has a lot of heart. It has a lo- it has its heart in the right place. Um, it uh, it's as I mentioned just before, it was very eighties. There are songs here that just made me laugh because I know, yeah, like "Cruel Summer." Have you ever yes. heard that song? Cruel summer, summer go, go. and they play it when he goes to school. Yeah, it's like th- that's are, not even summertime. When he, whenever he's with uh, other kids or when he's in school, that's when the '80s parts of the soundtrack. Yeah, come. very but '80s then, music. But it does but a good switch when he's when he's with, training. They have more classical music, especially that. I love that scene on the beach. That has yeah. a very good score because it's like this very classical, you know, strings, very fast violin, and yeah. then it gets into this, and then it gets into this more eastern melody with so, stringed instruments. When you see when you see Mr. Miyagi on that pillar, uh, yes. doing the doing yeah, the crane a, kick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have that. You have like yeah, the little montages where so the Daniel soundtrack is, is not totally the, dated. No, I mean the parts that are dated though are real. Like there's one part where I think in the tournament. Do you hear you're the best around? Nothing's ever gonna keep me down. Oh, that's that's which they had now. in Rocky Four. Really? I think I think that song is in Rocky Four. Yeah. No, Rocky Four is is the one where he fights Drago, right? Yeah. No, that's 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 uh, Hearts on Fire. Oh. Hearts okay. on. Fire. Um, I thought for some reason but, you're I the mean, best around the, was also. It's in, Rocky in that IV. same genre. Of, it's very like of inspirational synthy. music that you play when you when you're on your workout. Yes. Or, or when you're trying to be ironic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and this is before <laughs> this movie your doesn't really know. Class. Yeah, this movie doesn't really know irony. Although one thing I like well, too is that's where that, it started. I mean, basically, it's a it's a cliche because it it's is used in, in Karate Kid, yeah. which I mean, like it, which you know, cliche or not. That was uh, mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah, so I would say the most thing that's aged, you know, maybe some of the hair is aged, but that's like a cosmetic. Well, thing. You but can't the soundtrack help that. is aged in part. But yeah, there are some good like soundtrack moments. Um, I and mean, you could say a disco film is aged because no one has an afro anymore. It doesn't mean that it. Sure, sure. I think it just threw me off because of like I've seen other '80s movies where, like when I watch Back to the Future, that hasn't aged as much as like The Karate Kid. Okay, I'll give you that. Um, yeah, so... I mean, people still love the power of love. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, something about but that. But let's just... talk about the characters, too. Yeah, I... I um, Yeah, I think the characters he... are mostly pretty well drawn. I would say that the villains are extremely broad. I think they are very broad, and they do, and they do get a little exaggerated, but I think they're... Well, especially the, the, the head of the... What was it? The, the Cobra... Cobra Dojo. Kai. Uh, the... Even the name of that, it sounds like Cobra Commander. Yes. <laughs> we will get you, daniel son. Yes. But I realize now there's a reason for for uh, for every for the characters. Because even though uh, the instructor's name is uh, Kreese, mm. I, and uh, I, if you look at the film closely, this is what I started to notice yesterday. There is a reason 
why Kreese is the way he is. Why is All that? Right, let's think about Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi learned... learned he learned, learned it from his father. He learned karate from his father as a way to defend himself, mm-hmm. like passing down family genera- family information mm-hmm. from generation to generation. And he's not... Yeah. And he's uh, uh, been in... Uh, in a war, and he uh, d- and he doesn't like particularly like fighting. Now, Kreese, he is also from a military background, and that's where he learned his karate. He's learned to he's learned to take his fight to the enemy to show no mercy. He's a younger guy, which mm. means he's more hot headed. And you you get the feeling that ten years down the road, if you looked at Kreese, uh, he'd probably look back on himself and say, "Yeah, I was kind of a bastard." Hmm. No. I, he doesn't. Crease, I don't know. May, well, I, he has no self awareness. He was. He's a totally cartoon villain. At least one weird thing though in the tournament, I. You, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting in the tournament, you notice though, some of his own students, they sort of like you know, Crease tells him, "All right, take him out," and they're like, "What? You're serious? Wait, what? <laughs> no." It's like you're gonna do it. I'm like, okay. And, you know, they actually, at least they have some doubt. They're yeah. like, wait, are you kidding? I can't do that. I'll be disqualified. You're going to do it. Like, no, Kreese is a totally cartoon villain. To he me. doesn't redeem himself at the end. No, no but, you th- but you but think I he has like, a future. Well, I don't know about the that. The sequels have proven that he does not have a future. Well, I, well, I haven't seen But, I mean, what I'm saying either. is if, if Kreese was as old as Mr. Miyagi, mm. He would probably have a lot more perspective on himself and on life and things, um, and yeah. he, he probably he might have mellowed out. I mean, Mr. Miyagi has the benefit of of age. Yes, and uh, he also also the other thing too, and I could talk about my favorite scene of the film. Oh yeah, if I had to pick one, because there are a lot, there are some good scenes here, but probably at the top, and this is interesting because it has a production history to it. I think I know when, the one you're talking about. When Mi- well, when Miyagi gets drunk. Right. That's I think that's my choice for favorite scene too. Well, what I love about it is that it starts off. It's kind of funny because you know he's giving uh, Daniel alcohol and he's kind of laughing a lot. Yeah. But there's also kind of like a we haven't quite seen him like this before. He looks kind of out of it. He looks a little strange. But then he well, passes it's, out. It's odd to see him drunk because before this he's he's he, not in control. He's had yeah. He's been he's very very subdued. You wouldn't think it. Uh, and then, but he gets this greater depth through this scene. Yeah, because then what happens is, is um, and they do a great job of the whole, just a limit, a limited bit of the of telling. Like they mostly show sort of, you know, that Daniel puts him back, puts him in bed, and kind of puts a pillow under his head, like just little touches like that were nice. But then he discovers his his wife and kid were like killed in an internment camp. Well, the th- uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Yagi, he's drunk because it's his anniversary, mm-hmm. and his wife is long dead. And you real and you find out that during World War II, his family was interned with a whole with uh, with thousands of other Japanese Americans. Yeah, and his wife died in childbirth in the camp. Mm-hmm. And so, so fact- not only does she die, but his only yeah, that's uh, why I meant to say by killed. So he has, and originally I read just today that the studio wanted to cut that scene out because they thought that oh, this is kind of slowing up the pace. This isn't really necessary. And the director's like, no, no, you have to have the scene here. It, like it's really important for the character. And, yeah, it is. And the director later said like Pat Morita got nominated for an Oscar for this movie. And the director well, the, argued that that scene was probably one of the things that helped him. And that. more or less it was Pat Morita's idea. That's why. Oh, okay. Because I the original that. script but was basically it starts with Pat with Mr. Miyagi being drunk and nothing much is made of that, and hmm. and Pat Morita 
Pat Morita, when he was a kid, he was in an internment camp. Hmm. Uh, like a lot of other famous like Japanese Americans, like George Takai, uh, and he and the song he's singing is actually a song that he heard when he was in the internment camp, and it's I did not know that part. Yeah, and he uh, he basically built that scene, mm. uh, and there's a lot of history to it. He's he's a World War II veteran, uh, probably in. There's a big history of Japanese Americans mm-hmm. in World War II, yeah. like becoming some of the best soldiers ever. Mm-hmm. And if you know a little bit about that history, you understand basically, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi. He's not just this guy. He's he's been through a lot. Yeah, he has. And you get just a glimpse of that mm-hmm. in this scene. You don't have to know everything, but it's uh, it's such a great thing. I mean, yeah. I know as much as what, I do uh... because of uh, of my history knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've heard about those internment camps, and it's pretty terrible. Um, I uh, going back to some of the other characters. Another scene I really liked, and until the drunken scene, it was my favorite little bit in the movie. Even though it seems pretty simple, when the subject is first broached between the Daniel asking Miyagi to teach him, it's done in a really delicate way, but it's done kind of gradually in the scene, and it leads up to them. Then they're going to go out to the to the Cobra Dojo. Right. Um, it's not loved... like, oh, I saw you get beat. I'm going to teach you karate. No. Yeah, because this is after Miyagi saved Daniel from, you know, getting completely killed by these five guys. Yeah. And um, it's a long two shot. And it lasts like, it seemed like it almost lasted five minutes. Now that I think about that scene, yeah. It doesn't it's... cut. It's just on the two of them sort of talking about, you know, karate and what it is. Um, I also really like the scene where... Uh, you know, because the whole the whole thing of him having to wax on, wax off sand for so long, floor. sand the floor, paint, paint fence, paint the fence, paint fence. I, I paint go out, the house, paint the house, and um, uh, yeah, and then and, you know, and Daniel and, gets really mad at one point. He's like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like I'm your slave. And he tells him, wax on, no, no, not that, no, here, ah, and then like he actually reveals how. Why he's this been was so teaching important. him the whole time. He's been teaching him, him the whole that, time, but that's they a do fantastic it. Scene they too. do it in a very clever way, but again, it's the whole. It's a show don't tell moment. Yeah, that and really all that is legit. Yeah, that's okay. So that was something that I wanted to ask you about with this. So, um, so I, I when did you first see this movie? Uh, I probably saw it um, maybe five years ago. Oh, okay. So you're not. You're not that far behind with me. I could have said that to you at the time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's five years ago today. You saw it five years after me. Well, and the point is when I saw it. Okay. But I... I, I kind and I'm of, younger in than the, you. Uh, so I've got like seven I, I will say this. I wish you. I had seen this as a kid. I think I might have liked this a lot more when I was a kid than now. And I still like the movie pretty, pretty well today. Um, did you, being that you're in Taekwondo, did you relate it all to the movie? I did a bit. I mean, uh, a lot of the... I mean, obviously the... that dojo isn't like your no. dojo. <laughs> oh, but a lot of Mr. Miyagi's philosophy on karate is is okay. valid for all the martial arts. It's not. It's about defense. It's about not fighting. It's about the karate is in your head and in your heart, not in your fist. Hmm. Uh, I, nobody it, said I, I'm a good boy <laughs> during that. No. Uh, <laughs> that's different. Uh, but it's... Uh, it's also just a great movie about teaching. That's yeah, why I I, that's why it. I liked it the most. Again, it's that's where I got the Rocky Jr. thing. Also, I wanted to say that I liked Elizabeth Shue quite a bit. 
Um, she was good. She was a good love interest. She's uh, a very she good love interest. She doesn't do much, but she but their their relationship builds very they organically. Give, they give enough conflict. I think that the teaching part I responded to more though than the the romantic part. Okay. And I'm out of time, but uh, yeah. But still, uh, yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad you finally saw it. Oh yeah, I, I, well, I am going to see it. I'm going to see it this year. That's part of the idea with the list. Right. Um, yeah, I think that for me, just this isn't going aside from the the movie discussion. I there are certain movies that I think if I had either I was either going to see them when I was a kid or I wasn't, and I think that that was one of those movies that um, it was parodied quite a bit when I was a kid. I saw a lot of the wax on, wax off. Yeah, wax Ninja on. Turtles. Even yeah, Ninja Turtles too did a gag with that and. I sort of felt like, okay, I don't really need to see the movie. I just saw that. It, it's it's suffused itself into pop culture. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, again, it's just one of those things that people just usually know from its references. Of all things, when I was a kid, Here's one of the I, things... I didn't you see The Karate Kid, but I saw its, like, 90s knockoff. And I don't mean The Next Karate Kid. Do you ever, did you ever hear of a movie called Sidekicks? That's with Chuck Norris, right? Yeah, it's the only Chuck Norris movie I've ever seen. Sadly to say, um, yeah. <laughs> oh no, no, I saw him in Expendables too. But the point is, um, in this movie, you also have a kid who's training to be a uh, a martial artist or something. And I remember that movie because in that, that's where you have um, like chopping through like you know uh, wood. Yeah. You know, and uh, and the climax of that movie too is where like. They're like concrete bricks, and there are like six of them on fire, and he chops <laughs> his hand into them. Yeah. <laughs> but that's real. Yeah, that that's what surprised me. I mean, compared to that, the end of Karate Kid is kind of just like, okay, he got him. Good for him. Yeah. But uh, All right, so let's move on to your movie. Okay. Uh, and we have something a little bit more serious to talk about here with your movie, I think. Yeah, instead of 80s pop culture, we have 1940s, a foreign classic. A 1948... Sur- uh, no, surreal. No, no, it was 1948. Really? Bicycle Thief? Yeah. Oh, my mistake. Uh, uh, Bicycle uh, Thieves. Yeah. Directed by uh, Vittorio De Sica. It kind of goes... It could be either The Bicycle Thief or Bicycle Thieves. I'm not quite sure what it is, because I first saw it as The Bicycle Thief... But then Criterion put it out as Bicycle Thieves. And actually, I think and let me start. the the uh, the title is uh, Ladri di Bicicletta. Ladri di Bicicletta. And I think I think that's plural. But okay, that's not yeah. the point. Uh, Bicycle Thieves is about a is about a man who in Italy in Italy on I hard times Rome. looking for a job. He gets a job as a poster hanger, but he needs a bicycle. They he gets out of hock with by selling uh, his wife's sheets. And he basically has this sweet job. Like before this, they barely had money for food. Now he just has a sweet job. And on his first day on the job, his bicycle gets stolen, which means he loses his job. Yes. And the rest of the film is him trying to track down his bicycle. Yes. Um. Yeah. And basically, he goes around with his son as well. We yeah. Mentioned that. And uh, you know, and you're basically just following what this movie was part of was a movement in Italy called neorealism. Uh, at that time, you know, the war had just happened in in, in Italy, and there wasn't any money. Um, no, I mean, yeah, there wasn't any. There weren't any it's resources. It's true to the times. Um, I mean, probably as the film was being shot, this scene was playing out in real life. Oh yeah, and uh, the other over a thousand times. Yeah, and there were a number of filmmakers who sort of started this trend of 
you know, instead of movies at that time, a lot of movies were looked at as just, this is just escapist entertainment stuff. But no, we, we have movies where we just went through a war. Um, you know, we, our people are devastated. Um, granted, Italy was sort of on the side, unfortunately, of the Axis, but... Um, but still, you, you can you can identify with people. No, that, and that's the idea. And you feel for these people because I mean, this guy goes to the un, to the employment office every day with about three dozen other men. No, and that's looking the thing. for work for his family who, and he he had to sell his bicycle in the beginning to have money to eat. Yeah, he. I can identify with being hungry. <laughs> you can you can identify with having trouble finding a job too. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the thing was that. It'd be one thing if the movie, if it was just some guy who was having trouble finding a job and it was, you know, everyone else was having jobs and it was fine. But, no, but this he was in society where, this was a society where everybody was having trouble finding a job. And so he loses this job that re- involves his bicycle. What if he can't get another one? Yeah, you know, he can't is, support his son. And this isn't just like uh, working at a restaurant as a waiter or anything. This is a sweet job. It's it's got great pay. He gets a uniform. He gets it's relatively easy. Yeah, exactly. It's in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just gets around on his bicycle and he goes home. Uh, it's like lightning struck, and he's been like, and you know, of all the people who could have gotten this job, this guy got the job. And then yeah. just as quickly it goes because some guy just steals his bicycle. Yeah. Now, um, there, are, uh, there are a number of things I, that, cause I've seen the movie a number of times. And I also, the reason that I first sought out this movie was cause when I was early in college, um, there was this documentary that I watched called my voyage to Italy by Scorsese. What he did was he looked at the history of Italian cinema from, like the 1940s to the 1960s. And he started with a movie called Rome Open City, uh, which That's, was another yeah. neorealist director, Roberto Rossellini, is Roberto Rossellini's father. Um, and uh, he he and Vittorio De Sica, and De Sica was the filmmaker who made The Bicycle Thief. He also made another movie called Umberto D. That's also on the, the list that is you gave it? me. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Oh, man. I... Uh, yeah, he um, Desica made like the thing about his movies in this in this frame of mind, and what Scorsese right, but, showed me is the fact that you can make a movie with actors who the actors in Bicycle Thief are non-professional. No, there are no names in this film. No, except actually a little trivia note: Desica's assistant on the movie, or I think he actually might even have a cameo, is Sergio Leone. Whoa! Yeah, that's cool. Mind blown. Yeah, he was just starting out there in Italy. He was he was thin mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have a beard yet. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm curious to someone who I mean I've seen all of these I've seen all of the neorealist movies like there okay. are I mean there's not a ton of them but you know uh, Rossellini made movies like Rome Open City, uh, Paisan, Germany Year Zero, and then uh, there was this another director named Visconti and he made a movie called The Earth Trembles. Um, but I wanted to get your take on it though. Like what was your, what was some of your feelings with this movie? Well, part of the, uh, I, what I really liked about this movie is that it does, it it is very simple Mm -hmm. and there is a moment early on where you have a bit of suspense. I I know the bicycle is going to get stolen. Yeah, that's, I, that's the whole concept. And as he gets his bicycle back, he leaves it briefly to go see what his wife is doing. Uh, she's going to see that fortune teller. Yes. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's left the bicycle. Is it going to be there when he gets back? <laughs> and of course it is. But for that brief moment, 
there was a, there was that this weird moment of suspense that yeah. uh, even in a non-suspenseful film. Uh, no, the moment where his bike gets stolen is a very uh, powerful scene because it's just like you're focusing on the guy who's just kind of like, oh, oh there's a bicycle, I'm, I'm walking by, I'm taking it. Yeah, but I mean, but we all saw that coming. Yeah, the bicycle was going to get stolen. Uh, what I wondered at the end mm-hmm. is, first I wondered, well, this is a film that even I've heard of. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you don't know about neorealism, you might, you've probably, and if you know something about the film, you've probably heard of the bicycle. Thief. Yeah, it's 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 transcended that whole movement. Like, not everyone's going to seek out a movie like Paisan. No. So why? So let me ask you, okay. what is it about this film that makes it such a classic? I think again, it comes back to the. Is it just because it's representative of a movement? Um. Or is There's there... a part of that, but I think that the the movie to me expresses a kind of universality that you know it's not just about like Italy in that time. It's a, it could be set anywhere if, I... in a sense of poverty. If um, and also because it's about a father and a son and their bond together, you really care about them, and the yeah. movie gets you to care about them so much that. You know, it transcends, like, uh, political leanings or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And you think about, you know, Italy at the end of World War II had to be pretty hard up for, uh, you know, for money and jobs and things like that. Mm-hmm. But consider that worldwide, the world had been in in, tr- in pretty hard times for about 15 years. Mm. I, 1929, the Depression stuck. Especially yeah. in Europe, which was recovering from World War One. Yeah, and Italy so was under been... Italy was under fascist rule. Too. Right, and then you come. There comes the the rise of fascism, the devastating bombing by the Allies, and so you basically have uh, three or uh, two or three decades of hardship. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just in Italy, but around the world. I mean, you could easily transfer this sort of storyline to Depression era America or or uh, Blitz era London. I think that's where the significance of it comes from. And the fact that, you know, at that time, people hadn't seen a movie like that, but that it could resonate so much with its simple faculties that you can make a movie like this with, again, like I said, non-professional actors, but they're really good. Yeah, they are good. too. Even people who appear just for a a couple minutes, like one of the scenes I really love in the movies when he, uh, the guy tracks down, I forget his name, but he tracks down the guy who was sold the bicycle to, or he sold the bicycle. He's an older guy. It was in yeah. the church. And he's he's worse off than he is. Yeah. Like, he's actually really wor- badly off. And, um... I mean, he's, he's basically a bum. He's, he's in, like, a... Uh, he's in a church getting uh, food, getting mm-hmm. a hot meal and I, a bath. I think as the audience, we... he's It's the kind of story and the kind of characters that you can... You're meant to kind of put yourself into that situation. You know, unless if you're a super fat cat who's never had to worry about that kind of stuff, but you know, it's um, I think that it's a it's a movie about empathy in a way. I was thinking that too. I was thinking at the end. Well, at the end, um, the man tries to steal a bicycle. Yeah, and, and he, he gets desperate caught. desperate times call for desperate measures. Uh, and, but he and he's been through so much. He just wants his bicycle back. Oh, you just back. feel so and bad he, for him. And it's and it's so unfair. And so finally, he's he just he tries to steal a bicycle and he gets caught. 
Yeah. And it's because his son won't let go of him and he keeps trying to pull him out that the guy he steals from says, just just let him go. This isn't where going up yeah and so i was thinking well what is the takeaway from this you, you could think of it as a very depressing thing where this man he's still missing his bicycle he has no job i mean he doesn't even have sheets for his bed anymore and his son has just seen him do this thing and you know he, he probably feels the worst that anybody has ever felt at the end of a film hmm. so i was thinking well what you can look at it negatively but what is the takeaway and i was thinking uh that it's he he has more or less descended to the level of a thief, even yeah. though he gets away. Uh, so it, I, he basically, I think, if there's any sort of character development or any mm-hmm. sort of sort of boon that he gets, it's mm-hmm. that he's gained knowledge about not just himself but about people. That yeah. if you're driven to dire straits, you will you will steal. Yes, uh, that you know you may have your pride, but in the end. Uh, when you feel that desperate, not just because of you know hunger or because of uh, or because of money troubles, but because you just yeah. really feel terrible, mm-hmm. you will do things like that. I mean, you'll do something that some you'll do something like what they those guys did to him. They, he does the exact same thing. Yeah, it's like you're not you're not immune to suddenly becoming that thing that you are kind of detesting. Yeah. In other words. Um, I, one of the things that when I watched the Scorsese documentary and he was showing clips of this movie, and that's why I got interested enough to watch it, was um, the um, after his after he doesn't you know he he doesn't he finds out like I'm not getting this bicycle back because this guy you know nobody knows where this bicycle is, no. and his son says something and the father smacks the kid. Yeah, and the and the kid's just like dazed for a moment and he just starts crying and he walks away from him. That's another thing about this film. You finish your thought. No, no. And after that though, you watch for the next couple of scenes as they're walking down the street because he just says to him, you know, the son asks him, "Why are you? Why did you smack me?" And he's like, "You're getting on my nerves. Let's go." Yeah. And as they're walking, we'll take it. We'll take care of this at home. You can watch the the direction is so d- delicate here, but it's so great where. You watch as like the kid is still following the dad, but they're far apart on yeah. the street. But then as the scenes goes on, they get a little bit closer together, right. and then they finally kind of try to make up. Yeah. I think ultimately by the end of it, you could say that it's very depressing. And you know, I remember when I showed this to, to Corey. Of course, she kind of cried at the end. Um, <laughs> it's that kind of movie. And when you watch Umberto D, man, oh. <laughs> but I I think, I think that with this movie, by the end they still have each other. And they maybe have, they're going to try, maybe they could try to find some way to make it. Maybe they will, or maybe they won't. It You can look at it as just this movie about this way of life. I what were you about to say? I hadn't though? thought so much about the father and the son relationship, although what you said is actually a really good point. But I saw so many shades of moments with my own father in this. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Like, I remember this one time when my dad, uh, we were at this amusement park, and my dad lost like a, a, like a hundred dollar bill. Oh, uh, like just dropped it. And we were all so worried because our mom didn't know. And we had to go tell her and everyone was like, oh, God, what are we going to do? And it turned out OK. But I mean, my brother and me and my dad, we were all in this sort of 
thing together, even though we hadn't lost Dogville, we felt bad about it. And my dad was most distressed of all. And there's that scene where the bicycle has just been stolen. And he goes, and his son asks, where's the bicycle? He's like, oh, it broke down. And and they go home, and he doesn't go in to tell his wife, because he just can't face her. Yeah. Uh, well, he also, you know, he feels guilty. I mean, he sold the sheets to get the bike. Yeah, I mean, he can't face her because he feels guilty, because he, he feels like he's failed. Everything that happens in this story, you know, nothing in it is incredible. Everything no. is very natural. It's very believable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and the father and the son stuff, it hit me on a personal level, I think, because there was, there, I've also had moments with my dad where he either, where I said something and he yelled at me, or like that scene where he smacks things. My dad didn't really smack me, but I, I still know that, that feeling. Yeah, exactly. That moment where you like, oh my God, my dad is capable of, you know, taking out his anger on me. And then you're, and then you're just, you're angry at each other for a little while. And then slowly over the course of the day, you, I've you had that. I've had those together. moments too. Yeah, I, yeah. I've had those moments with my dad. Uh, so it works. Usually it gets healed with food as it does in the bicycle thieves. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you, like, I'm guessing, do you, is that your favorite scene of the movie? I don't know. I, cause I really actually, love that scene for a number of reasons where they go to eat and, like, for me, the part of that scene that works so well is that they're eating and the kid turns around and sees the rich families yeah. there. And the snotty son turns and is like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think basically that is a good scene. Although I, I have to go back to that earlier scene with where he just leaves that bicycle unattended for a little bit. Mm. And knowing that the bicycle is going to be stolen. Uh, not knowing when it's going to be stolen. Yeah, because this it's, is the kind of society where... Everybody is so desperate. Yeah. You know, everybody is capable of this. And again, at the end, he's capable of it. And that's kind of the tragedy of this society. It it works on multiple well, levels of the personal and also kind of like the bigger, like, man, this is such a problem of what's going on with joblessness. But it's all about being human and, real, you know, realizing, uh, you know, the humanity in yourself and everybody else. So that's a big takeaway from the bicycle yes. thief. Like, okay. it does have a bit of a downbeat ending, but you can still take something away from it. I got you, and that's a good place I think to to end the conversation. Uh, You're right. There are a couple quick little things I wanted to say though. Some I forgot. With this isn't exactly about the Cry Kid, but when I was watching <laughs> the movie, um, v- Billy Zabka in that movie, he kind of reminded me of like you if you were evil. <laughs> if you were evil, he has a little bit of your look, like. More like if you had, I think I remember a time when you had more hair. Yeah, I, ha- I have had a longer hair. You had hair and you have a bit of a similar nose. We're both nose. very blonde and, yeah. uh, and white. So, yeah, yeah, but it was kind of like remind me of if you were evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh... <laughs> I don't know what you, how, did, how, you, how you should take that, but I just, it was something that came to my mind while I was watching the movie, and I just thought it was... Billy kind of... Zabka is an evil Andrew, and I'm a good Billy Zabka. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're you're the good Billy Zabka. You're the one that got away from the Cobra. From the Cobra Kai. Yeah, I keep calling him the Cobra Commander just because it's easier. <laughs> that's that's another 80s pop culture reference. you got to get it straight. Yeah, All Cobra's right. in that time. Um, I Let's guess take a break. We're going to come back with our break. discussion about something else something else that uh, i'll do it later yeah 